It takes a village to raise a child. It's quite rare today to be surrounded by friends and family when having a child. And so, for many, especially first-time parents, it can be a lonely journey with a lot of unexpected discoveries along the way. The aim of a village is to give you a place to hear honest stories from regular people on the parenting front line. No unsolicited advice, what's right for one person might not be for another. Take what you need, ignore what you don't. Thank you for listening. Your host, Poppy. Before giving birth to my daughter Tiggy, it felt like all the stories I heard were either I breathed the baby out or we all nearly died. Whilst both of these happen, it wasn't my experience of birth. For me, birth flows like life through highs and lows, positives and negatives, laughs and tears. Each story you hear will be unique to that person, because whilst there may be similarities, no two births are exactly alike. This is Jess's birth story. She talks us through her IVF process and her planned caesarean, which was due to a polyp near her cervix. A heads up that there's quite a lot of baby interruptions in this one. Cool. So, um, I am here with Jess and Violet, um, who is currently breastfeeding. How's that going? Uh, yeah, it's going really well now, but uh, yeah, it was a bit of a journey. <laughs> yeah, we should we'll have to have do a whole session on a breastfeeding one, I think. Yeah. Um, so okay. tell us a little bit about you, Jess, and um, I don't know who you are. As you said, <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm Jess, uh, living in London, where we've just moved to uh, Wimbledon, Southfields area. So we're in Southwest. Um, moved here in when I was in my third trimester. So that was really interesting. Oh <laughs> um, I don't recommend trying to uh, purchase a property whilst you are heavily pregnant because it is incredibly stressful. <laughs> um, but we we managed it. And um, yeah, but I mean, God, it feels like a lifetime ago now, but pre-motherhood, um, I work in media sales um, and advertising, basically, and uh, head up the UK team for my company, which is Bliss. Um, and we're, yeah, we're an ad tech company based in London. So that's what I did pre-baby. <laughs> and so you have quite an interesting journey because you, um, you decided to go with IVF. Well, not decided to you you went with IVF and what was the, what led you to that and yeah yeah so so we've had a bit of an interesting journey I mean it's so crazy on the 28th of this month it's going to be oh hello sorry she's like super engaged now because no, it's great I feel like she's just all of a sudden started to be yeah, she's smiling up at me now it's so great she suddenly like could notice her surroundings she could see everything so the yeah the twenty eighth of this month is actually one it, it well it's Violet's IVF birthday um which a mutual friend of ours told me about um I won't I won't say who in case she doesn't want to be mentioned but um she was an IVF baby and was saying how IVF babies are very special because they get two birthdays when they were oh, actually great. born yeah and then when the transfer happened um which is I thought that was a really lovely lovely um just something to think about um yeah so we 
I always had it in my head that I wanted to try for a baby when I was 34. And when I was 34, it was COVID. Um, so we kind of just put it off that year. And next year rolls around and we started trying. And it's a funny thing. And I'm sure this is something that will resonate with quite a lot of people um, listening. It's that age old tale or whatever of like, you know, we spend our whole lives as women trying to not get pregnant. And then when you try to get pregnant, you realize, oh, it's actually not that easy. Um, and of course, for some people, it just happens straight away on the first go. And, you know, some it takes a few months and some it could take up to a year. And I just don't think I've like fully appreciated that before before we started trying. Absolutely. Then, I think when you're a teenager, they say like if you look at a penis, that's it, you're pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> And um, I was kind of shocked, actually, at how I feel like we just know so little about our bodies as women. I mean, I actually had a girl, um, um, well, woman, lady uh, at my workplace um, on my team speaking to me. Well, we got into this conversation about having babies, etc. Because um, I, I was uh, obviously pregnant at the time. And she was saying she didn't even know what ovulation was. And you know, she was kind of like in her early thirties and it's, it's so common just yeah. until you start using the apps to track your cycle and all of that. You don't necessarily know the ins and outs. Of- no, we're not taught it. And it's not kind of like to be, um, it's not like passed down. Like it, I think it used to be a bit more that you'd be in a community or not even passed down. Like you need to be specifically told, but you'd be in a community in which, You'd yeah. see your mothers and grandmothers and aunts and everything. And so you'd see them getting pregnant and you'd see that process, which we just don't have in the same way, do we? I know, totally. And I mean, my I feel like my mother didn't really speak to me about all of that, um, which, I mean, it's fine. I don't know. But we we just never really had that, those kind of conversations. Anyway, sorry, I'm digressing. So the, so the following year we decided, OK, this is it. We're going to we're going to, you know, try but not try see what happens um and at the start of that year I actually booked myself to go for a fertility MOT so just to check that everything was okay and I highly highly recommend to anyone I mean it doesn't even matter if you're trying I really encourage women to just go get checked out um what does it involve the fertility MOT so they just take some blood, they do some blood tests, and that's to monitor your hormone levels. And essentially, that's to understand that you are still ovulating, you're still producing eggs, and we're well, not producing, but um, um, like your body's releasing eggs. And um, uh, they'll also do a transvaginal scan. And I think, you know, that that's just to check your, actually, like, for example, she measured my ovaries and checked that I didn't have any cysts, et cetera. Um, and everything came back fine. But something that did get flagged for me was that I had fibroids, which I'd never even heard of fibroids. Yeah, tell us like, a bit about what a fibroid is. Yeah, I was like, what the hell is that? And if, if what I understand, I mean, she was like, and, and the doctor said they're super common. And obviously I went home and Googled it straight away, you know, like Dr. Google, what is it? And I think it's something like 80% of women have fibroids, but you don't, it, most of the time, you, they're not going to bother you. It's just there. It's like, um, it's kind of like a little tumor, like a, um, or scar tissue from what I understand. 
Um, and they're just there in your body. I think it's from us having periods every month. Uh, again, don't quote me on this. I think it's, yeah, it's just that sort of thing. Um, so the, my ones were, were fine where they were. So they weren't going to cause an issue with getting pregnant. Um, but I did have one that was by my cervix. And she said to just obviously watch out for that when I am pregnant, because it could possibly cause an issue with the birth. Kind of left it, didn't think about it. Um, and um, we were we were quite lucky that uh, I found that out because when we did when we were doing IVF, um, you have to go for a load of scans, which I'll talk you through the process if you want me to, um, and that whole experience. But during IVF, you go for a lot of scans, and the doctor handling that said to me, "Look." the one by your, the, the fibro by your cervix is um, definitely going to block the birth passage. So you will very likely need a, you're going to need a C-section. And was, what was quite funny is that when I was pregnant and going for, you know, you go for your 12 week scans, 20 week, et cetera, they didn't pick up that fibroid because it's, um, they don't do a transvaginal scan, you know, it's just on your tummy. So if you hadn't had that MOT and if you hadn't been yeah. doing IVF, it wouldn't have been picked up. Exactly. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they would have at really early stages. I'm not too, I don't know. It's one of those things. But I always, like Sam and I, my partner and I always talk about it and say, it's weird, kind of like things happen for a reason. And thank God we did discover that because as it turned out, Violet wouldn't have been able, she wouldn't have been able to get out. So that would have been, I don't know how that would have ended. I mean, um, yeah, so I had to have a C-section because of that. And they were all very concerned about the fibroid getting cut because it can cause hemorrhaging, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but yeah, I definitely recommend to everyone now, I just say, just go for an, just go for a checkup because even if you aren't trying, at least you just know with your own body what's going on. I mean, I had no idea that I had um, a fibroid. I'd had no symptoms. I'd had no issues with my periods in the past or anything. Um, and then if you are trying for a baby, if it takes a little bit longer, at least you've got the peace of mind knowing where you're at. Mm. There's no you know, underlying issue. And if there is, then that's fine. You know what to do um about it absolutely yeah so what so you've got to how long did you go before you decided to do IVF so the IVF um option kind of so we we started I'd say we were trying probably for about six months and nothing had happened uh and I was quite um I'm quite I think I'm quite lucky that Sam my partner um, my husband, he was a partner. My husband, um, you know, he also went and got checked out, and he was very open to, um, you know, acupuncture and just making little tweets to his to his lifestyle, as did I. Um, because again, I think that's quite important that it's not just on the woman. You yeah. know, it's it's kind of a fifty. You know, it takes two to make the baby, yeah. and um, surprisingly, a lot of men just don't want to go get checked out. Um, Tiggy's just waking up, so I'm just going to pick her up. Yeah. Do you want me to just carry on chatting? Give me one sec. Yeah. Hi. Yes, let's go. <laughs> Hello, Tiggy. Um, yeah, I think we went for a tried for about six months, and he went and got checked out. Everything was kind of like pretty much f everything was fine. Um, 
And we were in quite a fortunate position that his insurance at work did have a a fertility package. So we could kind of go for a round of tests again, just even though I'd done one earlier in the year, I kind of just did it again um, just to check everything was all right. And um, they, they did cover IVF, which I know is an incredibly fortunate position to be in. Yeah. So we had a discussion with the doctor and she said, look, on average, it takes about a year from couples um, when they're trying so we could have just carried on again for a second year. But the thing for me was that I was already 35. Um, I just, I kind of thought, you know, if we've got the opportunity to do IVF and that speeds thing, speeds things along, uh, maybe we should do it because it's fine for the first child. But then if we're trying for a second, you know, it, it might impact it. And like I say, it, the only reason we kind of t- took that jump was because we were in a really lucky position to have access to it. Absolutely, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, so IVF, I f- sometimes feel a bit, I'm just a bit conscious talking about it sometimes because I'm really aware that it's, I was quite sensitive to the fact that it's such a personal journey and I'm I'm very happy to talk about it and uh, our our experience with it but um again we were quite fortunate with how it played out for us um I've heard a lot of stories from other mums since becoming a mother myself about people's own IVF journeys and it it's tough it's really tough I think it's just it's really taxing on couples um you know having to wait and just go through the process and taking the medicine and then you know if you're a lot of people have many unsuccessful rounds before they have a baby. What's it like taking the medicine? So, hey, 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 do you want to go in the other boob? Okay, hold on. We are now both breastfeeding, which is brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, for us, how I played, so we... Um, we said, yep, okay, cool, we're going to do do the IVF, uh, signed everything off with the doctors, and I thought it was going to take a few months before everything started, and it was literally, right, next month, your next period, coming for uh, blood tests and a scan, and they it kind of started all from then, so I was a bit like, whoa, okay, we're, we're doing this, and um, but the, the medicine at the start was all right. So you get you get in, you have this injection that you need to take every night, um, and that's to stimulate your egg production. But the injection is just kind of like you know those pen ones that you just like click and uh, basically stab. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I found that one all right. It wasn't it wasn't too hectic to take. And then I think I also had a nasal spray that stopped me from ovulating. Um, so yeah, did that did that every evening. You do that for a couple of weeks. I think it differs on each person, just depending on like how how many eggs you're producing. Um, and then you go in for the operation where they collect your eggs, they harvest your eggs. I know it's very very alien like. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's amazing. It, it yeah, the whole thing is really incredible. But uh, it was obviously it was like the tail end of COVID, so you still had to you know go have a PCR test and show you were clear before you know doing any sort of procedure and I remember we went to one of those travel we went to like our local pharmacy to get a travel PCR that said oh it's going to turn around within 24 hours 
And on the morning of the procedure, we still didn't have the results. And it was so stressful because when you go for your egg collection, they give you something called a trigger shot, which you need. It's basically this big ass injection that you have to take exactly 36 hours before the procedure because it, it causes your body to release the eggs and then they go in and collect them so I'd obviously done the trigger shot done it like my body's prepped ready to go and our bloody COVID results aren't through um so we just went anyways and the receptionist didn't ask us for any proof of tests so we're like yes yes we got away with it when imagine if you hadn't well yeah I mean we she didn't ask us for for that so she didn't ask us for the test results then however once we went and checked in I was like in my scrubs hairnet ready to go we see the receptionist come into the theater like uh, waiting room of the theater and call the nurse aside whisper in her ear and they look over at us so obviously she realized she'd made a mistake and forgot to get the test results anyways we had this amazing nurse who just pulled us aside and said look what's you know can we see the results Sam explained that did, that we didn't have them and she just triaged us so went through a like the survey to to understand whether we we're like at risk of having COVID or not and she just like pushed us through which was brilliant um so that was like unnecessary stress <laughs> for the day um but yeah, so when you, the, the whole procedure is so quick. It's like 15 minutes, you're in and out. Um, and they put you under, it's general anesthetic. Um, you, you come around and they give you a cup of tea and a biscuit. And you're just like super drowsy and um, a bit crampy, you know, because you've basically had something stuck up your vagina to <laughs> get everything out. <laughs> um, and then that's when your partner... So obviously Sam, he had to go in and do his business in another room. <laughs> and I am so intrigued about that. <laughs> yeah, well, he was saying all he could think was, don't mess this up. Don't like, don't miss the cup. Because obviously I've gone through a month's worth of taking injections yep. and all this medicine. He just needs to wank in a jar. <laughs> Put under general anesthetic. All he has to do is, is aim <laughs> correctly. Um, yeah, anyway, so they, they do everything there and then, and they'll, they'll let you know how many eggs they harvested from you. So we had 18, which was, again, that was really great. Uh, it's quite a lot of eggs. They go away, mix everything together, and then they call you the next morning to say how many fertilized. So I think we had 14 fertilized out of the 18. Um, then on day three, they give you another call to say how many have actually like turned into embryos um so at that stage I think we had I think they all turned into embryos and uh, I can't remember when they grade them but they basically grade that grade them good average poor um and I think we had something like three average one or like sorry three poor one average and nine good quality so really really lucky um, and then when it gets to day five, they let you know how many they're going to freeze for you. So some people do a, uh, I think it's called a natural cycle or a fresh transfer, transfer, 
And that is, I believe, on day three or day five, they will transfer the embryo straight back into you. The other option, which was what we did, is a frozen transfer, which is basically they fr they freeze the embryos that are really good. And then when you're ready, you come in for the transfer. The reason we did that is because they had collected so many eggs from me um, and the doctor was just a bit worried about my ovaries being overstimulated. And you kind of just want everything to calm down a little bit down there. Yeah, so how long after you'd done that did you then have um it the transfer? The transfer, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we did the egg collection in February. I think it was yeah, it was mid-February and um it was the 28th of April when we did the transfer. Cuz um I'm trying to remember back to it, but there's a bit of prep before that uh, cuz I think they obviously want to make sure your body is as receptive as possible to homing the little embryo that they're about to transfer into you. So you go for loads of scans and blood tests with with IVF. Um, I do remember thinking that was a bit, a bit of a pain. Um, I was I again. I was quite lucky with my work. I still work from home, and uh, again, I've I have a management team who I think would be. I didn't tell them that I was going through IVF, but I think if I'd spoken to them about it, um, and I think my boss at the time kind of guessed that we were doing something like that. Um, they were quite supportive about me going on like doctor's appointments and stuff. But I remember thinking at the time, if you if you worked in a really sort of strict corporate environment, I don't know how the hell women get like carve out time to go do it. It's really, really important that they get that support yeah because it's time consuming because it's, it's not just the appointment yeah, is it like yeah it's really time consuming um yeah but anyway so before doing the transfer you get, you get put on more medicine so that's that's when I found it started getting a bit intense so you had um progesterone um what are they called again bloody hell the things that go uh that go go <laughs> like a little tampon Oh, um, not pessary. Pessary, yeah, pessary. So, yeah, so I had a pessary that I had to take. I had to take pessaries three times a day, which that that's what I found the worst. I didn't actually even yeah. mind the injections that much. It was the pessaries because it was just so gross, really. Um, so that pessaries three times a day, tablet twice a day. Don't ask me what hormone it was giving me. I cannot mm. remember. And then, um an injection every evening and those injections were the proper like syringes that you had to you know suck up from a vial and um prep everything um so you do that uh did the transfer on the 28th of april and yep you wait two weeks and do your at-home pregnancy test and yeah i found out on the 8th of may that i was pregnant um and then of course when you do ivf you you go for an early scan so we had a six-week scan just to check the heartbeat yeah um, they did a blood test again to check that all the hormone uh, pregnancy hormone levels were rising random question could you choose to have twins then they I don't think so I don't I mean they never asked us that mm -hmm. I I I might have this wrong but I think the twin thing with IVF is more if you're a bit older if they put two embryos into you just to sort of increase the chance of one sticking yeah. but when we were doing the process I remember asking about it and they said no 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 they would only put one embryo into right. me because it's it would be too dangerous I did wonder if we were going to be able to choose the sex of the baby 
and apparently it's illegal in the UK. And yeah, I think it's yeah because it's obviously people influencing what our society is going to look like. Because imagine people are like over-indexing for picking women or something, you know, yeah. for they were going the IVF route. Um, do you have a funny story about the the medication? So obviously you've got to keep on taking this. I felt like I was on it forever because when you have a positive pregnancy test with IVF, you have to continue the medication for the entire first trimester, which I hadn't realized. I thought it was just right. Yeah, I'm pregnant. I'm finished, but it's not. It's for like the next three months. And um, we had a holiday to Morocco booked, which was something that we had originally booked for 2020. And obviously with COVID, it kept getting pushed back. And we were there on this lovely holiday, but in Morocco. And I just, we just kept thinking like, this is the stupidest place to go when we're in our first trimester. Because one, it is so hot. I kept worrying that I'd like, you know, I've met, you know, I'm going to, cause a miscarriage or something because of the heat which obviously would have been terrible um and the risk of food poisoning because uh you hear about people getting you know if you're eating in the street markets etc you've got to be so careful um obviously it was absolutely fine but you know how your brain just goes into overdrive when you know you're at that early stage of pregnancy um and you're so tired as well at that time as well. So, so tired. And we had this uh, trip into the desert booked. It was like a three-day trip. And, oh, I mean, I don't know why we went on it. Like, I think originally we were meant to be there in April, so it would have been a lot cooler. But just from having rebooked it so many times because of COVID, we landed up going in June. So it's the start of summer, <laughs> in the desert staying in this like bedouin tent which looked beautiful but it was in reality it felt like hell it was just so so hot and luckily though we were the only people staying at the campsite that night so they actually moved our bed outside so we could sleep under the stars and all that that was really really lovely that's amazing that's such a wonderful memory yeah it was I mean it was still bloody hot but um (laughs) (laughs) But so I was having to do my injections out in the desert. Um, we went to Glastonbury. So that was interesting. I was having to jab myself in the Portaloos in Glastonbury, which probably the most unhygienic place you could imagine to do <laughs> IVF treatment. Also, we were camping outside of Glastonbury. So we had to go through the main gates every day. And of course, they stop you to check your bag for weapons drugs etc and I was <laughs> <many> syringes <laughs> I had to explain it wasn't heroin it was actually fertility medication that's, that's such a good excuse <laughs> oh my god so yeah I you you learn very quickly where to jab yourself with a needle um doing IVF but yeah fun fun times but yeah I mean I I'd say overall for us it was a very it was a very positive experience um incredibly lucky that we could do it quite quickly and again incredibly lucky that it happened it worked on the first first round for us um I do feel anxious about doing it again because I kind of I've got this weird feeling of we're so lucky the first time of course it's not going to work for us the second time which I know you shouldn't think that way but it's yeah it's kind of hard not to yeah that's fair and and are you if you don't mind me asking 
Um, are you also trying normally? Normally, I shouldn't say normally. Are you also well, whilst trying... we're whilst we're doing IBM. Yeah. Um, we I can't remember now. I think I mean all romance goes out when you start trying for a baby. It becomes very um uh strategic. <laughs> um, I think that. I think after ed, the ed collection bit, I think maybe that month we did carry on just not trying, but not not trying. Um, but then we did the transfer quite soon afterwards. So once the transfer is done, it's like, yeah. it's there, you're pregnant. Then, so. Yeah, that's fair. And so your pregnancy, so second trimester, third trimester, all went like along yeah. all, all as normal. Or I mean, everyone's different, but yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm going to be one of those really annoying people who <laughs> says, oh, yeah, no, I actually really enjoyed being pregnant. <laughs> um, obviously, the start is always a bit rubbish, I think, for everyone. I didn't I didn't have any morning sickness, but I did. I just felt like I was a bit hungover all the time. You just have that sicky feeling. Um, and yes, yeah, super tired. Like the tiredness from pregnancy is unreal, isn't it? It's just next level. Yeah, it's completely different. And then you're, yeah, it's just, I think, I think a low level hangover for like months. <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. Low level hangover. And you're just a bit like, oh, I feel a bit grotty. Um, I remember the second trimester around week 15 thinking, where the hell is this burst of energy that I'm meant to be getting? And this wonderful flow <laughs> because I was still feeling so tired. But I think it was probably from a week around week twenty that I suddenly started feeling really good, and um, yeah, and really enjoying it. Yeah. Um. Did you have any weird cravings when you were pregnant? No, and I was so annoyed. I really, really was just one of the main things I was looking forward to. Did you? Yeah. So I didn't have any weird cravings, but my intake of chocolate went up like twenty fold. <laughs> <laughs> And I don't usually have a sweet tooth at all. Um, and I just, all I wanted was Cadbury fruit and nuts, like slabs of bread. I was going to ask, was there a particular kind? Was it just that chocolate? Yeah, and hot chocolate. Oh my God, I just wanted that every day. I was like, at the, in at, in the first trimester, I'd make hot chocolate and then grate real chocolate into it. Oh my <laughs> God, that sounds amazing. So I think, I could, I think that can count as a... I definitely had more hot chocolates because I I went off coffee and I drank a lot of coffee and I don't like tea. So I was like, what can I have? And I was just like, hot chocolates. (laughs) So let's zoom ahead. So um, when did you take maternity leave and talk us a little bit about, obviously you knew you were having cesarean. So what was that process like knowing you were having a cesarean? So we, um, again, so Violet was due on the 14th of January. I think she's done another poo. That will have been the third one today. Yeah, something's going on with her tummy at the moment. Bloody hell. (laughs) Hopefully, I hope she's okay. Um, What was I going to say? Yeah, so she was due the 14th of January. um, And in my mind, I always thought, oh, I'll work all the way up until she's born because then you obviously, you don't want to eat into your maternity leave. But in reality, as you get closer to that due date, you just switch off from work. I mean, I really, I love my job, but it's really tough concentrating on your day job when you know an even bigger day job is coming up around the corner. 
Um, also, given that it was Christmas time and the start of the new year, it felt like the it would make more sense to kind of wind down at Christmas. <laughs> oh, okay, so no one can hear because she's muted herself, but uh, Poppy's just battling with Tiddy at the moment. <laughs> Tiddy looks like she's giving her a bit of a handful. I think she's got a bit of wind, so oh, I can hear her quite a little bit. Oh, hey, <laughs> um, yeah, no, carry on. Um, yeah, I mean, it's not really much to it. I I decided to wind down literally just as the as the year ended. I worked up until New Year's basically, and then had had a like a week, a couple weeks before her C section date. So she she was born on the ninth of January, and obviously with a C section, you you don't really get to pick. It's more a case of they give you a couple of dates and say, do you want to do the? They do the C sections on a Friday and a Monday usually in in the hospital. Um, I don't know why. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, I don't know if that's all hospitals or just where we were. So we were at King's College Hospital, which was fantastic. Um, we had such a great experience there. I. You know, if we have a second, I think I would want to go back there, even though it's not really in our area. Um, but yeah, so they said they perform the C-sections on a Monday and Friday. And but yeah, so we just went with the with the Monday. It's so weird because you <laughs> you go to the hospital first thing in the morning. We got a taxi just because the parking is horrendous there. And um we didn't know how many days we were going to be be in there for. Um, so we got an early morning, Addison Lee, to the hospital. And, you know, it, it was like Monday morning, driving through London. And I said to Sam, everyone is on their way to work and just having a normal day. And we're literally on our way to the hospital to have our baby. It's so bizarre. And that is like, so, must be so surreal. That moment, I remember, I mean, obviously... I didn't have a C-section, but I remember those last few weeks being like, my whole existence is about to completely change. And you just it does there's feel no very pre- strange. Like nothing prepares you. Like with the weekend before, because we knew obviously she was coming on the Monday, um, unless I had was going to go into labor, which luckily I didn't. But um, we, I kept thinking like, we need to maximize this time. We need to do something because this is literally the last time it's going to be the two of us so I think on the Saturday night we just had a nice meal and went um we went to the movies oh nice yeah we watched that menu uh, movie with Ralph Fiennes it was really good um yeah I mean I love going to the cinema I won't be doing that for a while yeah <laughs> yeah we just did that went to the movies the night before I couldn't sleep like, I think I I'm bet it must have been like Christmas or when you were a kid. Or... Oh, it was, yeah, it was just so weird. Um, yeah, and then off we went on the Monday, and the I, mu- I must say for us again the the having the planned C section. It's yeah, it's it's so. I mean, you you go to a waiting room and you wait to be called up, and they come collect you, get in your scrubs, get ready, sort of settle into your section of the recovery ward and then off you go that's amazing very very different to sort of vaginal birth gone into sort of natural labor yeah Uh, but we had our playlist going and that made it less clinical because I remember when we went in and they when the anesthetist was doing this the spinal uh anesthetic uh, I felt a little bit nervous and just you know we were sitting in the theater there was 
lots of people there. How many people would you say were in the room? I think there were, there must have been about 12. Wow. But I don't know if that's because, I guess with the C-section, they've got people doing different things. And also it's a university hospital. They've got a lot of researchers there. So I don't know, maybe some of those people were just like there to, yeah. to watch or something. I don't know. Um, but I remember that one of the nurses said, you know, if you've got your music, you can start it now. And as soon as Sam pressed play, I just instantly felt relaxed. Um, like having our music going. What did you choose? What was your music? So we had, I mean, we had quite a mix. We had LCD sound system on there. No. Um, oh, baby. <laughs> um, <laughs> she, the song that was playing when she was born was Arc Garfunkel's Bright Eyes. Oh, I um, my eyes. I love it. You are definitely tooting the rooting there. Um, we had some Anderson Julia Stone. Nice. Had uh, Claire de Lune, the classical piano song. And that, that song was playing whilst they were. Oh, no. We've had a breach. Oh. <laughs> okay, I'll fall You know what? This is a new sofa that we got also literally delivered today. So thank God nothing's actually gone on it. Bloody hell. <laughs> Shall you I do a change? Me? I'll do a change as well and we'll come back. Okay, okay. Bye, bye. Oh. How, how was that? Uh, it's the third one today. And another big one. Another big one. I mean, she went through went before in the beginning. She used to do a poo every day without fail, like one or two a day. Then we went for a while where there just wouldn't be one appearing for a few days, and then obviously when it arrived, it was bloody massive. And it was, <laughs> I when it, just you, you always hear about people. Um, you always hear about the punami, like yeah, thing with new babies or whatever. And I thought people were overreacting, but my God, it's a real thing. <laughs> I mean, I've got a poo story. It was one of the first times the, this Poonami arrived. So we're still quite new to the whole concept of, of there being a natural disaster occurring in her nappy. But, um, so the one afternoon, I, I was like, everyone's pretty chill. I've got Lucille. So Lucille is our miniature sausage dog. Lucille was chilling in her basket. Violet was being very calm. I had her in the baby bouncer. I had my yoga mat out and I was doing my breathing. And actually, also, I don't ever do yoga. And it was like one of the times I actually sat down to do it. So I was feeling pretty zen. And <laughs> Violet starts growing red and purple in the face and scrunching up. And I was like, oh, God, yeah, she's definitely done a poo. Anyways, because she was in the bouncer, it obviously went all up her back and her front, and it, it was literally everywhere. Um, and I just thought the only thing I can do is actually just go bath her. There's no point in trying to salvage this. Like, I just need to stick her in the bath because it was so horrendous. She obviously starts screaming because she hates some. She went through a phase of just hating it when, like, you dressed her or changed her nappy or, you know, just anything <laughs> really normal which i didn't realize that like new young babies newborns and young babies don't like being naked uh, uh, i mean or well, she kind of likes it when she's naked and then when so you try nice. to put clothes back on her that's when she starts screaming which is really <laughs> frustrating but um especially when you have a winter baby because you're like baby it's cold <laughs> <laughs> baby it's cold outside, baby, it's cold outside. <laughs> 
Um, anyways, long story short, she's screaming, there's poo everywhere. I'm like having a little bit of a freak out. Um, managed to calm her down, bath her, get her dressed. I'm feeding her up in her nursery, and I'm like, it's okay, it's okay. Um, probably just to mention that I originally started unchanging her in the living room. We've got a changing mat down here. So I'd taken her nappy off and everything in the lounge. So I'm up in the nursery feeding her, feeling a bit like a bit of PTSD from her screaming fit, but it's okay. And then Lucille wanders in and Lucille's licking her lips and starts rolling around on the carpet. And I was like, no, no, no. Because obviously I'd left everything in my panic and Lucille had been downstairs in the lounge. I come back down and Lucille had attacked her poo nappy it was like flung behind the radiator all the wipes that I'd used on her were like scattered around the lounge you know everything had been licked dry by Lucille there were poo paw prints all over my yoga mat and oh man because obviously so she grim. walked through this ripe nappy uh it was honestly like <laughs> you know when you just sort of stand still and observe the scene and go, I actually can't handle this. <laughs> yeah. oh, I, called so Sam. I called Sam and I was like, where are you? And he was obviously very chipper, like none the wiser what was awaiting him at home. And he's like, oh, I'm just down the road. It's like, great. That's great. I'll see you soon. <laughs> <laughs> you can deal with it. Yeah. Oh, like, so, um, literally. Tell us a little bit about... Um, what was the moment like when they did you did you see Violet coming out? Did you did they how did you did they lower they lower the curtain? You can do that, can't you? Yeah, so um we you have the sheet up and um we had it up the whole time until they were about to pull her out and then they they lowered it for us. It which again is it's really soon into the procedure. So I think it's about 10 minutes for the whole anesthetic to kick in um and then yeah about 15 minutes later she she was born and the rest of the time so you're in there I I think I was in the theater for about an hour the rest of the procedures then like removing the placenta and then just uh, kind of stitching you up um but it was so weird because the like the nurse who was up at the top with me and Sam, she was really good at kind of distracting me because I think you, you, a lot of people say they get put off by the noise in during the C-section. You can yeah, because really you can't off. feel pain, but you can feel the movement, can't you? Yeah, you can. That's that's a really weird sensation because I remember just before she came out, they were really sort of tugging at at her inside me, and I could feel it on the left hand side. Um, apparently they actually used forceps to get her out. And then, which I only found out from the the notes afterwards, and then they they pulled her. Okay, okay, let me just quickly put you back on the boob because I think you're going to go crazy otherwise. But um, the nurse was literally talking to us about, um, you know, she she said said to me, "Oh, have you been watching Traitors on TV?" And I was like, "Yes, I'm obsessed with that show. It's brilliant." You know, we were talking about that a few minutes before Violet was born. <laughs> it's just bizarre. So they were they were, she was on she was distracting you as well a bit. Yeah, she was very good. And you know, she said, look, in about two minutes or five minutes or so, you're gonna meet your baby. And um we wow. gave our phone to the anesthetist uh to take photos for us. And yeah, they were they were brilliant. 
Um, so we've got a, a photo of her actually being pulled oh, out. Yeah. You can't really see my stomach or anything like that. Yeah. But, um, yeah, see her coming out. And she opened her eyes straight away, which the doctor says is quite unusual. Oh. Would I really because she would... Because you just don't know when she would have been born, like, if you hadn't... Well, I mean, obviously you couldn't. Yeah. But... Uh, what do you mean, like, um, if if we hadn't had a C-section, we don't know yeah. when she would have arrived? Yeah, I know, it's a, it's a weird concept. I also always feel a bit weird, weird talking about our C-section birth because typically you always hear people saying it was really traumatic, it was an emergency C-section, it's, some, it's something people try to avoid. But we had an amazing experience with it. Um, it's obviously not like, you know, all bloody rainbows and flowers. Like it's a it's a really, really intense surgery and the recovery is quite something. But um the actual birth was was positive for us. Um and they, you know, they t- you see we saw her being raised up and it's just so it's like it's so abstract yeah yeah found it very surreal um at the time but yeah then they took they took her away to clean her up and everything and then put her on my chest and for me the most amazing (laughs) moment was when she was crying and then when I started talking she stopped crying oh yeah and the nurse said it's just because she can recognize my voice voice that was that was a very special moment. That's really beautiful. Yeah, because we we asked for delayed cord cap clamping. Oh. So with the C section, you can still have a birth plan, which I think is quite important to um just you know make sure you have that conversation with your midwifery team. Um, I mean they probably will chat to you about it anyways. But you know you can have your music. You can you can ask in some theaters for the lights to be slightly dimmed I don't think they will necessarily do that but apparently you can ask um just to to have that kind of setting um you can ask for like skin to skin and everything so our hospital obviously advocated it and they 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 did take her to be weighed and cut the cord and all of that Sam was meant to cut the cord and then they landed up doing it but we 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 didn't mind I think Sam actually just like didn't really want to get involved when it's yeah that's fair I mean it's yeah 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 um but yeah they put her on my chest and she just stayed there the for the rest of the procedure I'm I literally don't even remember how long we were in there for um they did something did happen with the anesthetic though where it kept rising (laughs) I remember saying I can't really feel my arms and I'm starting to feel a bit like light I'm feeling really light-headed and they were like, okay, get baby, give baby to dad, give baby to dad. And I think they'd like maybe just given me too much anesthetic. Oh, right. So it was like coming up. Yeah, it was really weird. So I had a bit of a moment where I just like closed my eyes and left the room, I think. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I did this. Uh, Sam's got some photos of me when they were wheeling me back to the recovery ward. And I just yeah. don't remember it at all. I think you are in such a bubble. Yeah. Yeah, but I think I mean for the with the C section that straight afterwards it's so painful. You kind of forget how you use your stomach muscles for absolutely everything. Yeah, yeah. How was the recovery? What was that like? How long did you spend in in hospital? So we stayed in hospital for two nights, so three days, two nights. I think we could have actually gone home the next day, but we asked if we could stay one more night because. Um, 
just found it really useful having the midwives there on call because with them, you know, for breastfeeding or just any other general questions, it was quite nice being able to ask them straight away. So with the C-section, it can sometimes take a bit longer for your milk to come in. Um, So she like Violet latched okay. And we seem to be fine with the, like the colostrum stage of the feeding. It was even at her first midwife appointment, actually, she, she'd only lost 5% of her birth weight, which was really good. But then after that, she took a long time to get back to her birth weight. And that's when all the anxiety came in around my milk supply mm-hmm. and her latch and are we doing it right? And it was just horrible. I really hated that time. Not the time with Violet. I loved that. Yeah, yeah, was- definitely. I, I will. That would be lovely to talk more about that um, at some point as well, because I think that to, to go into it would be really, really useful. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what was, the, maybe tell us a little bit that moment when you first got home, when you were without, the kind of when you walked in the door with Sam and Violet and you were like, this is this is it now. I don't know if I can really remember it, you know. <laughs> like, I remember that so Sam had to go back home before us and, oh, God. Sam had to go back and get the car and come and collect us and uh, you feel like I remember we had her in the car seats and I was just like drive really slowly the journey back I mean yeah I I can't even really remember and I just the first night we um I just I don't even know if it was the first night it was sometime during that first week so we've got a snooze pod that goes next to the bed and I don't know what led to this, but it must have obviously been like she kept waking up when we put her down in it or she just wasn't really sleeping. Something was wrong, which to be fair is still the case because she just hates sleeping in it. Um, And it must have been like two in the morning, both Sam and I haven't slept because we just, you know, you're too scared that to go to sleep in case you're, you know, you just want to keep this little baby alive. And I have this memory of Sam picking up the entire snooze pod and putting it in the bed between us because <laughs> his logic was that she'll feel like she's close to us I, I mean I get it I totally get it I love it <laughs> I was like, and obviously we had Lucille our sausage dog sleeps in the room also I was just like looking at Sam going oh my god this is nuts what are you doing there's like a fucking snooze pod <laughs> on top of our bed the dog is even looking at you like you're crazy and we're both just like you know bushy-tailed because we haven't slept um yeah so that was a bit that was something it's such a blur though isn't it it's those first couple such weeks was sam in the hospital with you yeah 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 he was there he stayed there with me the whole time oh that's good i quite enjoyed the hospital bit because again you feel like you're in your weird little bubble like the, like this weird limbo where like time doesn't mean anything and it's just yeah, the two totally. of you and this new baby totally it's very strange getting back to the house on your when yeah the first time when we got back it was dark it was very late and we just spent the whole day in the hospital after giving birth and I just remember being like this feels so weird everything feels yeah. weird. everything's um, different every like life's changed yeah 
I felt like I was in a dream or something, but yeah. Yeah, we got we got home quite late also, actually, now thinking back, because obviously it was January, so it was really, really cold. I think there, there'd been like another Arctic blast or something whilst we'd been in the hospital. Um, So I just remember thinking, oh my God, our house is too cold. We need to pump the heating. And um, yeah, it was really dark and we just like cold up in the bedroom, really. We We called it phase one, phase two, phase three. And phase one was the bedroom. So we just didn't want to leave the bedroom for about a week. Phase two was moving down to the living room with her. <laughs> and phase three was actually going outside for a walk. I like that. Yeah, totally get that. Just had to kind of move up in stages and just not put any pressure on ourselves, really. Cool. So let's. So you've got three questions I want to ask you. So the first one is, do you have is there a top tip or any advice that you give to your former self and that can be like serious or it can just be funny <laughs> advice as well <laughs> um so I was thinking about the tip because um I think you said to me to relate it to the c-section or the IVF. yeah or something to do with your journey whether it's IVF or I think I mean overall my kind of tip is I mean, it's not really groundbreaking, but it's nothing will prepare you for it. So just relax and <laughs> just kind of take each day as it comes. Um, definitely learn to let go. I've, I've found that quite diff- I still find it quite difficult because I'm definitely the sort of person who, if I want to go get a coffee or if I want to go, you know, just go be able to do anything at the drop of a hat which most people are like um I I found I found that quite difficult not being able to do it anymore so it's just about don't put pressure on yourself if you just do one thing a day and that one thing could be just going to get a coffee from down the road that is absolutely fine um but I've got a tip for just in general um if you are in the hospital having a baby so whether it's c-section or vaginal Get a water bottle, get a really big water bottle with one of those clips and the long drinking straw because you are so thirsty, especially if you start just like after birth and then you can clip it to your hospital bed. That was great. That's a very, very good tip. I've heard one about the straw, but having the clip as well. Yeah, someone someone gave me that tip and they sent a link to this huge bottle that you can get on Amazon. Like just got it for 15 quid or something or tenner. And it was a lifesaver, honestly. Um, because otherwise they just they've got those jugs to fill up small glasses in the hospital and you want to be able to, you know, have a big job. Yeah, really neck it. So that that was my tip. That's fantastic. And second thing is um what's the top thing that you've done or the best thing that you've done one-handed? Oh, so I thought about this and mine is so stupid, honestly. So it was one of the first nights that I think it was the first night that I was home alone with Violet. Sam was out with his friends. They were watching the like final Six Nations. So I thought, I've got a movie lined up. I'm going to treat myself to a Deliveroo. And instead of ordering a pizza or something really, you know, simple that I could eat with one hand, I ordered pho. Well, pho. <laughs> I was like, what the hell was I thinking? Like, I couldn't <laughs> eat it at all. I even like when I had her in the carrier, I couldn't because I was like slurping noodles and liquid above her head. I just, I just threw it away. It was the, honestly the stupidest takeaway <laughs> ever. Brilliant. 
Well, um, I guess that that also links to the final question, which might be the same answer. Then is like, what food have you dropped on your baby? Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean everything. Pastries are the worst. <laughs> Just find all these flakes down there. But um, the one time I did keep thinking, why does she smell so funny? Because she was in the in the carrier. And um, I kept saying, she smells really funny. And then when I took it out of the carrier later, I found some smoked salmon down her front. <laughs> it's like, yep, that'll do it. So that'll do That's it. Brilliant. <laughs> that is absolutely brilliant. Um, fantastic. Is there anything like last that you would like to say that you haven't said about any of your story? Um, I do you know what? I just think it is, I was going to sound really cheesy, but it. It is just the most wonderful thing, isn't it? It's oh, and also, I mean, I've got this like crying baby on me right now. And I'm like, it's so wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> they just like it's it's so hard. It's the toughest thing ever. Breastfeeding, especially, you need to do a whole episode on that because fuck me, excuse me, excuse my language. Oh my word. <laughs> It is so tough, and I feel like no one really prepped you for that. But um, everything's so tough, but it's so rewarding. And just you just got to take it day by day. I think. Yeah, absolutely, fantastic. Well, thank you, Jess, and thank you, Violet. You've done. Thank you for joining us on a village please share with others and if you want to get in touch or tell me your birth story contact a.village.honest.stories at gmail.com until next time bye as you can probably tell i'm building this podcast alone in my spare time around looking after tiggy want to support you can sign up for a membership or buy me a coffee by searching for a village on ko-fi.com or find the link in the podcast description Thank you for your support.